Normally I start these off by asking about the individual's history and photography, but on this particular occasion, I actually want to start off with something that's a little bit strange. So I sit here right now with um, at least one eBay tab open on my on my internet, looking at potential medium format cameras that I can buy myself, one of which is the Pentax uh, 67. Um, I'm going to ask you to start off this podcast by just selling me that camera. Oh, man. <laughs> selling you that camera. All I can say is that is, to me, the absolute best medium format camera there is. Um, ease of use, walking around with it. Um, the issue I've had with other medium format cameras is uh, lack of usability. So like with the RB67 walking around with that thing and uh, just kind of taking pictures with it, I I can't get into it. I just cannot get into it. Uh, the Pentax though, just walking around, it just feels like a normal SLR just on steroids. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible camera. Get it, get it right now. It's just going up in price too. Uh, okay, I'm going to do it. You've convinced me. Let's do what we should have done to begin with. And let's talk about how you first picked up a camera. So why did you end up as a photographer as opposed to some other creative outlet? Uh, actually, if you want the honest truth, I started out doing something a little different. Um, I used to make music um, and I got put on a small little label called Stylus. Um, so I used to make kind of like, uh, I guess, darker hip hop beats and played a couple shows here in uh, the States, down, to, down in Portland and stuff. Um, and so that's what kind of started me in the creative outlet, I guess you could say, uh, that I used. And then, um, once I had kids kind of making music took up a lot of time where I would sit in a room and just obviously have you ever made music really. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done it before. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of sit in a room by yourself, at least the, the process I did was, uh, uh, sat in a room by myself and kind of had headphones on. So that way no one could really talk to me, I guess. And once I had kids, it was a little, uh, it wasn't conducive to that because I was running in and, and then you're not spending time with them. So what I ended up doing was kind of dropping that and, uh, picked up a camera. So that was way I could do something creative while, uh, going on walks with them and whatnot. Um, so geez, 2000 September ish, 2018 is when I picked up my first camera and uh haven't looked back since let's talk about balancing being a father with with photography obviously you said it's a compromise from the time that you were giving up to music but how much does being a father play into your photography do you take lots of pictures of the kids and stuff yeah um i not as much as i should truthfully um i think any any parent will say that though except for maybe like matt day (laughs) (laughs) I should take more of them. Um, but it's more of a, um, for me, photography is more of a, my time. That's what, like I was right. saying, I, I wake up early in the morning. I leave before everyone's awake. Um, I try to get home, you know, as they're waking up so I can hang out with them, start making breakfast and stuff like that. And, um, so balancing it, <sighs> man, it is, it's challenging it's challenging because I always want to go take pictures. And, uh, so I'm starting to take my oldest daughter out with me, uh, every few days and, um, take her with me and trying to get her into it. It's slowly, slowly creeping on her. I think she just likes to go out and hang out with me in the morning just by herself. Well, that's, that's nice that you have that time. That's, that's, that's obviously a really big positive of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think every, everybody needs their alone time and that's the way I get mine. 
Okay, so not to sound too accusative here, but to start off by talking about your work, you don't seem to have any love at all for black and white. What's what's your personal issue with black and white? <laughs> oh, I had a feeling this might come up sometime. Um, I don't have any personal uh, tips with black and white. Um, I I don't have an answer for that really. I <laughs> started with color. Um, I've never bought a roll of black and white film. Um, someone just recently gave me some expired Kodak. That's a black and white C41 processing. So I do all my stuff. I do all the processing, everything at home. So I should probably give that a go pretty soon. Um, I definitely do like black and white. I like the, uh, the really high contrast black and white, the really crunchy blacks and whatnot. But I, I don't know. I, and I mainly for fun, I like to shoot old cars, obviously. So I don't know how that would, uh, transfer over to old cars. And I feel like where I'm at in the Puget sound, um, area, the colors are just too good. Not to, not to be shown. We're talking about film in general. When is a 35 millimeter shot? And when is it a, a medium format shot? How do you pick between the two sort of sizes? For me, um, so my kind of process is I like to uh, travel around. I usually go in my car, listen to music. Um, and once I find a car that I like, I'll step out of the, my vehicle, kind of walk around, see what angles I can get. And I'm always trying to capture that. So it looks older than it is. Obviously, I'm taking shots in modern day and I'm trying to make pictures look a certain way. And so if I can get a vehicle separated from, let's say, newer vehicles and whatnot, and I got a pretty good scenery with it, um, that's when I'll make the decision to shoot either um, medium format or 35. Because I'm always, I'm almost always carrying around a medium format or a 35. Um, in terms of film stocks, how are you choosing your film stocks? What is your go-to? Um... So my go-to as of the past year, cause I'm, cause I'm not, uh, wealthy <laughs> is a uh, Kodak max 400. That's, that's my go-to right now. I wish it was Portra, uh, Portra just, uh, the latitude in it is pretty impressive. Um, I recently just picked up a, what is it? Vision three, the 500 T. Uh, so bulk roll, rolling that, and I've only shot one roll of it but I haven't really uh, developed, I've developed one, but it didn't turn out that great. So trying that again and hopefully I can get that all worked out. So that way I can start shooting that a lot more. But the only thing I don't like about that is, uh, since it's, it's tungsten balanced, uh, you have to use the 80, what I think it's like an 83 filter on the front of your camera. And, uh, I just tend to not carry that on me all the time. So when is it digital? And when, like, what's the difference for you between shooting digital and film? Um, does it make you, act differently or is it sort of the end product that makes that decision? So when I first started, so let's see, September-ish 2018 is when I got my first camera and it was a digital camera. I was shooting on my phone just like a few months before that. And I was like, it just wasn't ticking the boxes for me. So went and did my research. Um, and I tend to go pretty extensive into research and I went and bought a Fuji X-T20 and I shot that for about probably six to eight months. And since I was just learning, um, 
the whole photography, you know, your triangle. Uh, I think it was really useful just to understand how, how it all worked. Um, and then I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just kind of got bored of having that instant gratification and not having, in my opinion, not having to work for the final product. Um, so for me, it wasn't really about slowing down. I know a lot of people talk about, oh, it's good to slow down. Um, and I mean, I was, I was never a fast shooter anyway, cause I think I was just so fresh and new to it, everything. Yeah. I don't know. That's, just, that's just where I come from. It's just, I, once I went from, from, uh, the digital side of everything and it was just, like I said, inst that instant gratification to having to work for every picture you take, uh, that's what made me have the big switch, I guess you could say. I mean, you mentioned old cars earlier and that's obviously a huge part of your work. It feels like there's sort of the possibility of one of two reasons for this, for this style of old Americana being photographed to be so popular with the film community. And I, I feel like one is the, the fact that sort of modern design is atrocious and incredibly oh. utilitarian and, and horrible to look at. And the other side of it is that film goes with a certain time period and it almost feels like it's dishonest to some people to photograph modern things with an sort of antiquated medium. What is your reasoning for shooting the older cars and the older design work? I never really thought about it that way, but I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a, uh, in a native American reservation up here in Washington and kind of what comes with some of the reservations around here at least is, uh, they don't have as much money. And so, and there's no, there, where I grew up, there's no regulations on what could be in your yard. So growing up, I had all these like junky cars around me. You know, my neighbor had, you know, three or four cars flipped upside down and there were 1970 Buicks just sitting in his yard with, with leaves and everything and, and bushes growing all through them. And so I think there's a part of me that, that I was always trying to recreate kind of my childhood visions. And I think also like kind of what you, you were saying is that aesthetic of, I guess my nostalgia <laughs> of all the pictures I had growing up were obviously on film. I'm 33 years old. So that was right in the heart of that. And so I think I'm just trying to come back to that childhood vision that I want to recreate. I maybe subconsciously or something like that. Is the decay and the imperfection of the, the the wear on the older cars is that something that's great for like the texture or do you like the context of it i absolutely uh so it's texture for me when i see an old car that's paint's peeling off and then you know when the stars align and i get the house with the paint peeling off because the person doesn't take care of that either um that is that's my go-to man that's that's what makes that's when i'm that's a medium format picture for me <laughs> is it is this something that you're planning like do, do you scout out areas where you you find like little treasure troves of old beaten up cars and 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 nostalgia and you you return to it with a camera or is this improvised and impulsive and you just kind of you happen upon stuff and you photograph it it is 100 percent improvised every time are you not the planning kind no um i mean i typically what i'll do is every time i come home um, I live, I work about 25 minutes away. And so when I come home, I try to take a new way home every time while still, you know, making my route. Um, and so I'll just kind of drive home and then I can, 
So it seems to be, at least where I live, there seems to be a areas like pockets, kind of like you were saying of these, of a population where they will hold on to these older cars and not fix them up. Mm-hmm. Like at, maybe it's their dream one day. So you'll get like these weird, like, like six blocks of every other house has like some sort of old car. And then like the next couple houses will have, you know, three or four of them with old RVs. And then, so I think I just kind of live in that perfect space where I don't have to drive too far either, where there's just tons of these cars around me. And a lot of these houses that were, uh, that these cars are in front of, they were built like kind of in the fifties through the, uh, late 1900s. So they kind of have that aesthetic of at least like I was saying, like when, when I grew up, that's what I saw. So it kind of matches that almost art deca era of the, of America with these old cars. So it's kind of a, in my opinion, a, a working, uh, formula. You mentioned your geography and kind of being in a, in a good position for all of this. Is it something where like speaking from my own personal experience, I photograph people primarily. And when I'm not photographing people, I'm kind of taken out of what I'm comfortable with. I feel like there are times I feel like I've never used a camera before. It's, it's, it's just so debilitating depending on the circumstance. Do you feel like a fish out of water if you were to be pulled out of your geographical location and put somewhere that was say a lot more modern with a lot less availability for these kind of older beaten up cars? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. So I live near Seattle and when I go up to Seattle, I, I can't separate my cars from the backgrounds of, of modern stuff. And so to me, it just, it, uh, aesthetically, it doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't appeal to me. So I'll see these old cars. And I also don't like cars that are like, that are cherry, you know, they're, they're perfect. I don't, I don't, everyone's like, cause everyone kind of knows I take pictures. So it's like, Oh, I saw this sweet old car and I'll go look at it. I'm like, yeah, but it's been like fully restored. Right. And it just, it's just not what I'm looking for. So, and there's a lot of people just don't understand like, Oh, I'm looking for that pile of junk. That's <laughs> that hasn't moved in 20 years in front of this house. That's, you know, crumbling down. And I guess a lot of people just don't understand the aesthetic that I'm going for all the time. Um, so absolutely. And more to touch on that is like, you were saying like, do I take pictures of my kids? I feel like a complete fish out of water when it comes to taking photos of people. I angles are wrong. My wife always gets upset with me. She's like, you're shooting like, up. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you take pictures all day long and here you are taking a picture of me and you're shooting like up my nostrils. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I have no idea how to frame people. No idea. I'm terrible at it. So fish out of water would be a, a great way to put it. <laughs> what do you, what do you do for stepping outside of that? Uh, so me personally, if I can have any kind of heads up on something that's going to be called upon. So a good example was I did a wedding. I, I photograph about 60 weddings a year. And last year I, I did a wedding where they had a collection of old American muscle cars, probably restored and of no interest to you. But in England, it's it's a crazy thing to see mm-hmm. that we're all at this uh, venue and they wanted photographs of those. And I, I was just like, I do not know how to photograph a car in any way that could even be remotely seen as cool or interesting or exciting. So I, because I had the heads up, I did loads and loads of research and basically I, I blocked a few shots in my head of like, okay, so like 45 degrees back through the window of the steering wheel, if it's got like an emblem on it, then you've got the like typical front headlight, 45 degrees shooting down, 
And I, I just found like little detail shots. But if I don't have the time to research how other people approach something, to me, it's just like, I almost feel like a fraud as a photographer. It's, it's the most bizarre thing. Because if you put me with someone that's never been photographed, I feel like I can take them through the process really easily. I feel really confident. I feel like strong in my abilities. And then it's like, hey, go photograph that other thing three seconds later. And I'll be like, cool. I don't know how a camera works. I am not a photographer. I hate myself and I want to cry. <laughs> oh, that's exactly how I feel when I'm uh, yeah, not in my element. It's, it's, it's a bizarre feeling and it feels, it feels stupid to say like, oh, you know, um, yeah, I take pictures all the time. And then someone's like, oh, take a picture of me. And I'm like, I, I don't know how. I mean, one of the things that's, that I find quite interesting with photography is that people see it as a different thing to them. So um, there are people out there that take pictures that the, the picture has a different effect on the audience than it actually has on on them taking it. That you know, the context that they see it in and, and the the process itself is different to the way that it's viewed. And there are people that use photography as therapy and there's people that use it as a creative outlet. Obviously there's people that use it for for money's sake. There's others that use it for a distraction. So obviously bearing in mind what you've already said about kind of it being a, a good compromise for you, for you as a creative outlet, how do you see photography overall? Is it a distraction, therapy? What is it? 100% therapy for me. Kind of like I alluded to earlier, it's just, it's my, it's my free time in the morning without anybody. It lets me kind of um, gather up my thoughts. I have a fairly stressful job on top of, you know, family, which isn't always, the, not always stressful, but it's just, you know, with three kids and a wife, um, having that alone time, I think is extremely valuable. And for me driving kind of in my car, listening to music on a nice sunny morning, um, and just going to these places that I've never been. Um, and it's, I mean, they're around my, my town, but it's just like going, I, cause I'm always like scouring like alleyways. So like, it's just seeing new sites. Um, I always have a cup of coffee with me. And that's kind of how I start my, my days off, um, from work. Um, so it's extremely therapeutic for me. We live in an age of people constantly coaching others and giving out these sort of inspirational quotes. I don't think anyone actually listens to, they're just happy to kind of post them online and assume that everyone else is so inspired by your ability to, um, be a philosopher on social media. One of the things that seems to be quite a prominent thing is kind of standing out and making your own mark. And that becomes harder and harder when more and more people all tend to congregate in the same place online. Is standing out important considering that pretty much everything ever has been done multiple times by multiple people? Or is it more important to just do what you find to be true to yourself? I definitely find for me, uh, personally, it's, it's definitely what's true to yourself. I, uh, I mean, I didn't, I, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because I think everyone likes to be validated with, with people obviously like giving a like or whatnot, um, online is, it's just kind of that validation that, Hey, you know, this person also likes what I'm doing. Cause I've noticed that like, especially on Instagram, like if I post something, I'll have like a core group of guys that are kind of on the similar or gals that are kind of on the similar wave uh, length than I am that shoot old cars or whatnot. And we always kind of hype each other up, which is awesome. Talk to quite a few of them often as well. And, um, but for me, it's more of like <laughs> going back to it. It's more that, that therapeutic process in the morning where I'm just going out for myself. I'm taking these pictures cause I want to take these pictures. A lot of people don't understand why I shoot film. It's like, it's like, well, it's also part of that process of, you know, 
I've shot this picture. See, I got like, like sitting right now, I have like, I think nine or 10 rolls that I shot over six months ago. I have no idea what's on those. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't remember that. So now I'm, I'm super excited to process all this film and see what I was doing six months ago, where I was at, what I was shooting. Um, and I've also made it more of a point to shoot my kids. Um, so now that not every single role is filled with cars every once in a while, you know, every, every few shots, I'll get a picture of my kid. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. Six months ago we had, you know, my son's birthday and, and you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So it's definitely for myself. Um, I mean, I have copious amounts of work that I haven't shared. I, I mean, months and months and months of work. And so definitely is it is same for you or what do you, cause you shoot more people. So that's why I'm, I'm curious on yours. Yeah. I, I'm not particularly vexed by what other people get up to unless I don't spend my time worrying about anybody that doesn't scare me in terms of their photography, because you know, if worrying about other people that are kind of at the same point on the ladder as you is, is just a little bit pointless because otherwise you'll spend your time constantly going sideways to find your own spot. And I think we're at a point um, I used to have a, an expression when I used to actually play music was that we were like a hundred years into electric music. So it's kind of, it's got a bit redundant to try and seem original because all of the good ideas have been to an extent taken. It's just finding your own personality within um, what you enjoy, as opposed to trying to create something that's never been heard before, because we're at a point really with like, even with photography, where I feel like nothing that's original is going to be good because there's a reason certain ideas have been left and, un and not been touched. But when there's photographers whose work I absolutely love and they, they scare me with how talented and, and how good they are expressing themselves. And I'm a big fan of like consistency and style. And I love seeing a big body of work that's amazing, not just like the odd one-off shot. When I see that, I become a lot more focused on what their opinion would be as opposed to just like a random guy down the street that has, you know, has a certain number of followers and therefore I should somehow care. Yeah, completely. Like, I mean, obviously the fantastic like stuff like Kyle McDougall, when I see his work, I he's been to all these places that I think everyone has been to. But when I see his work, I know it's his and it's that dude is so talented. It's, uh, it scares me. <laughs> yeah. And so seeing his work and him being able to have that, you know, that time to go travel, uh, 66 and that whole area of the Southwest, it, it makes me want to cry and just get in a car and go down there for months <laughs> and, and just, but then again, I'm like, well, well, if I do that, then I'm going to be shooting the same thing everyone else has shot. And then you got someone like Kyle McDougall, who's already shot it. It's, in my opinion, probably to some of the best ability that a person can. Um, yeah. So that's why I guess I'm, I'm scouring the, the alleyways of uh, dirty Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> 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 I don't know what the people equivalent of that would be when it comes to photographing people that there's someone that's a dirty alleyway like Tacoma, Washington. But I, I, I try and avoid those ones for sure. <laughs> In terms of influences, obviously you've just mentioned Carl McDougall. Do you have any other, is there anyone else on like your Instagram feed or, or wherever you go to find your influence that, you know, you can't wait to see their next piece of work? Um, yeah. Uh, truthfully, the past couple months, there's been a few other photographers from, uh, my area, Tacoma area. So we live, I live in Pierce County, Washington. And, um, I don't know if it's just because I enjoy seeing, um, different, different, uh, point of view of my own city. Does that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent. 
Yeah. So I really like that, but I think there's a few of these guys that are, that are really killing it. So like, um, our, our hours, do you know who that is? O U R H O U R S. He's, no. um, I think his name is Omar down in uh, LA. So LA has got just obviously the lighting that no one can touch. Yep. Um, <laughs> and the taxes and the, t- Oh my God. Sunshine, sunshine tax. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that in England. Yeah. Same here in Washington. It's, it's cloudy right now. Um, but, uh, so like CB shots, I think his name is there's a uh, Nick Kodak. Um, just a ton of these guys that, um, well, there's some people that they don't like to look at people that either shoot in the same area as them or that shoot the same style as them because they're scared to it, to have it kind of um, inhibit their their shot choices the next time they're working so that it kind of has too much of a direct influence. Is that something you ever consider or do you just do you just enjoy looking at work and shoot? I, I enjoy looking at work and shooting. So actually, uh, I've never shot with anybody else. Like I've never gone out and taken pictures with anybody else. And, um, Sunday, let's say Friday. So Sunday, um, I found this guy on Instagram that was in Pierce County and he shot the same, uh, vehicle as I, I did. Um, and so I hit him up. I was like, Hey dude, love seeing, you know, just a different point of view. And actually on Sunday, we're going to go take pictures in the morning. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that dynamic works out of two photographers taking potentially the same shot at the same time. I mean, something that I have been watching a lot of on YouTube lately is especially American serial killer documentaries. And I'm kind of building up a profile for you here. You get up really early in the morning, you found <laughs> someone else that's on your turf. You're going to meet them at some undisclosed location on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, you're killing me. Um, and I'm obsessed with serial killers too. So there you go. <laughs> Idols into rivals, right? Exactly. Keep your enemies close. Something I see a lot with the film community is is zines, personal project zines, you know, different uh, either self-publications or even just sort of rolling projects that they have online. Do you feel like that's something you want to do more of or that you want to start doing? Um, so I talked to my wife about this uh, recently and I would love to do one. So for the past two years about, I've been really, really trying to get this job that I just, um, that I just got. So most of my time and effort has been put towards that and family. Um, and now that I started working, uh, the schedule that I get with it is, uh, pretty phenomenal. So I get, um, four days off at a time. And, um, so now that I have, I guess that, that time, um, hopefully the next, I would hope by the end of what is it to, uh, or the middle of 2021, I'd like to get a, a small zine just for personal. And so have you, have you made a zine? No, no I, I photograph people. I got, I actually got told recently that you're not allowed to make a zine if it's portrait based, which I, I didn't realize was a rule. So now I feel like I've been put back in my corner. <laughs> Don't listen to them, break the mold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to, and what I've thought about with that is I talked to some people online as well about this is I don't know where to go from that because I've, you know, I've shared some work that I think would be really good in the zine, but do people really want to see work that I've already posted? Do I take it down and then put it in there? I, I, so I just, I guess uncertainty on that, um, has mm-hmm. kind of held me back. But then again, on the flip side, I have, like I was saying, a ton of work that I haven't shared too. And I, 
have no idea how to go into that, uh, that world of making a zine or how big, how many pages I'd like to put it or anything. Well, I would definitely suggest hitting up someone like Jason Hunter. Cause he's, I bought his zine actually a couple of weeks ago and it's, it's arrived recently and it's, it's really fantastic. He, I'll, I'll connect all of that up afterwards. If that's something you want to look into. You've mentioned a few times about the film community here. Um, why do you think the and, it, and I'm I'm saying as someone that very actively works as a digital photographer, especially photographing people, and I'm one of the sad bastards that's using a Sony. Why is the film community so much kinder and more helpful to each other than the digital community? I think it's a shared love of a niche side of something. So whenever you get a you know a huge huge world, say the world of photography, obviously in my opinion, it'd be hard to kind of get everyone together for that stuff. So once you get a niche, that, that film in the, uh, the film inside of a photography world, you're just boiling everything down. And I think the people that do film love photographies, I don't know how to really put it into words. Let me think about this. I think they just, it's just once you boil it down and you get a core group of people that love photography for photography, that they want to put in that extra work, um, to get their, their images, that's when they, you start hitting the, everyone's kind of on the same page. So you can reach out to people that, you know, if you struggle with something, obviously, uh, someone else has struggled with it. So you can just reach out to them. And that's kind of what I've done. So like when I first started home, home developing, I reached out to a few people that I knew on Instagram. That's my main outlet, I guess, and asked them, you know, what they did in certain situations. And everyone that I've interacted with is just super kind um, and like I said, you just get that core group of people that continuously push you to like, they're excited to see your shots. So I don't know. I, that's, that's the only way I can really put it, I guess. Do you feel like there's a, an element to it of the fact that film photography in a consumerist sense is dead? No one really, I think there's three brands now that make, you know, legitimate, decent um, film cameras new at the moment. So there's no, there's no competition between like brand loyalty when it comes to film photography. Whereas the way that digital photographers are marketed to by the companies that are making the cameras is so tribal and is, is so competitive. And I, I get to an extent it has to be, but do you think that that leads to like the film community not being as competitive <laughs> yeah. and being a lot more capable of actually speaking to other people? Whereas the digital community is just a bunch of people in their caves getting angry at people that are in other caves. And just, just comparing specs of cameras on whose is better. <laughs> yeah. Go compare those millimeters. Yeah. Like, I, like those, those crazy guys on YouTube that are just pixel peeping to like the outside corners of every single picture. It's like, who cares, dude? Yeah. To me, I, I doesn't matter to me. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, there's, I think once you, cause I mean, all 35 millimeters shoot the exact same uh, in today's modern terms, megapixels, you know what I mean? Like the only thing you're changing is your lens and your film stock. And so once you, once again, once you get rid of all that ridiculous banter of, Oh, well, mine shoots 50 megapixels while yours shoots 24 mine's better. Once you wipe all that away, it just comes down to that, that love of photography for what it is. And that's kind of what I was getting to earlier of once you boil it all down, the people in the film community, I'm not going to say they like photography more than someone else, but I think they just, they kind of wash away all that. They don't care about the specs because it's tried and true. It is what it is. That's what you got. You can <laughs> make it or break it when you develop it yourself. To take Route 66 off the table for a second, because I already know that that would be your answer to this. Where else would you like to travel to, to, to do what you do? Hmm. 
if I could go anywhere, I love that Americana look. Um, that's what I know. I would love to be in like New Mexico, Nevada. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's kind of funny. My my grandma. Um, I was I was born in San Diego, and then uh, once I was probably about five years old, I moved to Washington. It's been ever since. But my grandma, when I was like thirteen, she moved to Vegas, and uh, I remember my family going down and vi- uh, visiting her. And I just remember how bizarre everything looked down there to me as a young child and seeing all these like kind of like what I'm interested in those, those, uh, 1960s houses with rock, rock, uh, as opposed to grass. So the yards all rock and cactuses coming out and these old cars parked everywhere. And I just remember back and like, I wish my 13 year old self had a camera then. <laughs> um, so probably, it's probably somewhere in that just something to take me out of my element. Um, as I love, I love big open fields with like one subject in the middle. So like Monument Valley and stuff like that. When I see pictures of um, just areas like that, I'm really intrigued by that. But I'm not going to lie, man. I I feel very fortunate and blessed where I'm at. I I love the Pacific Northwest. I moved away right after high school and uh, down to San Diego because that's where I thought I wanted to be. Uh, lasted a little over a year down there and it was just hated it. Hated it. And every time I go back <laughs> to visit all my family, I last about a week and a half. I'm like, all right, I got to get home. I don't like the, I don't like hot weather. I love right. 70 degrees and a little overcast. If I could go anywhere, it'd probably be somewhere down there, but I don't know how long I'd last down there. Well, I've, I've spent the, the majority of this podcast when I've spoken to people that shoot Americana on film, trying to convince them to go to Bruges in Belgium, because I feel like there's, there's yeah, Bruges in Belgium. So it's kind of like... Uh, you'll get the best chocolate you've ever had in your life. And that's not saying much because you're American, but it's a town that essentially has no cars because it's so old. They won't allow them to come into the center of the town. Um, it holds all of its history up really strongly. Um, there's a lot of decay, a lot of a lot of interesting texture to the city. But I, I would just be fascinated to see a, an Americana style photographer kind of pulled out of that comfortability and taken over to Europe, to, to Bruges in particular. I think it's an absolutely stunning city. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to see what they do. I'm looking at pictures right now and it is it's incredible. It's, I've been there twice. We actually went there late last year. I went to uh, Vegas and then straight to Bruges and then from Bruges to New York and then New York to, to Washington, D.C. So it's kind of a really weird mix. But for some reason, although Bruges would never fit in in America, it would be amazing to see photographers that are used to that style approach somewhere like rural France or Bruges, like I say, or even somewhere like Ireland or rural Scotland. So I'm looking at pictures of Bruges right now and I, it's absolutely stunning. It's really pretty. So I think I would have a hard time because I like to separate my subjects and it looks like everything's kind of stacked up on top of each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's Europe. Everything's always stacked up on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, I personally just don't know how to shoot that style and make it look clean. There's guys that do it all the time. And I, and then I go try it. I'm like, Oh, that's not bad. So I go to Seattle and I'm like, dude, this is just not working out. <laughs> I, and I do not understand it at all. Um, I mean, to give you an idea of how to understand the the difference between living in North America and then li- living in Europe, just invite a European to your house and they'll just be staggered by the fact that there's so much space and <laughs> you're not literally one paper thin wall away from your neighbor who can probably push his face through to say hello to you, you know? <laughs> uh, I have not been to Europe and uh, one day I will though. One day, absolutely will. You're going to get a bruise and you're going to take some pictures and they're going to be amazing and you're going to thank me. 
<laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that you get all the credit for it. Thank um, you. Why is there, is there a reason why there's no, I swear there's like, every time I look at videos, I don't see a car older than like 10 years old in Europe. Uh, because they, well, in, in the UK, at least they get taxed, taxed out of existence. So, um, we have like emissions taxes and essentially if you have a car that's not eco-friendly, you get taxed to the point of it being impossible to run it without being a millionaire, which is really annoying because modern cars are basically they're internationally designed. Whereas older cars, especially in England were quite often designed specifically for England and we're a very small country. So now we get, um, I mean, I've started to see more and more like, is it Ford Rangers that is like the big pickup trucks? Yeah, I've seen more of more and more of those in England, which is just ridiculous because they could take up two lanes of a dual carriageway because our roads are so small. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it's basically made what was already a small country look even smaller because the cars are so big, and it's kind of destroyed the fact that we have we've had some amazing looking cars over the years, but they're now like in museums or impossible to find because tax wise, it's just not it's not economical. So do they just get shipped out of there? Because I don't, I don't ever see any over here either. That's what I was wondering. Just do they just get demolished? Or? Just, I, I believe they just get scrapped, or there's just. Oh. Yeah, don't, like, don't get me started. Like the the way that we just pave over our history is so sad. That's devastating. Yeah, we have we 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 can't have buildings that are like left abandoned for for fight other than like up the very north of England where no one cares, but we can't have buildings that are left abandoned for any time at all before they get knocked down and turned into. Um, essentially apartment blocks. That's it's happening here, at least where I live pretty quick too. Like I always, I always scour online, like try to find a band stuff. Cause like, you know, you see these guys on online that are always finding these cool abandoned buildings and crazy scenes inside of them. So I'll look online everywhere. Nothing, 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 nothing. Unless you go way out into the sticks about four hours away from me. That's when you start finding these old houses on big fields and stuff like that. But once you get anywhere in the city, especially, I think it's because we have such a bad homeless population. Um, they get they get uh, lots of fires inside of them, so they're a hazard. Right, right. We have like a pretty much a similar setup. It's just we're we're such. Um, it's hard to describe, but basically, anything south of Watford, which is a town just north of London, like just very north of London, like just about. Anything north of that, we don't give a shit about. Our government doesn't care about because it's basically, well, like, that's Scotland. Fuck that place. No one cares. And then everything that's from, like, London down is just considered London. It's one of the funniest parts about working in, like, the fashion and and model industry is that you'll get models that would be from, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this, but they could be from, like, Sarasota, but they'd be saying they're from L.A., That's kind of the equivalent where they're like, yeah, you know, I'm from, I'm from like basically three minutes from Wales, but I'm going to tell everyone I'm from London because then I sound important. And, and anything that's got anything to do with London or in even within a, a fairly decent vicinity of it just has no chance of, of holding on to its history without, um, without getting just completely destroyed so that we can build something. You know, I don't want to go like Joni Mitchell here or anything, but it's very sad because it means that, um, and, and obviously we have a lot of history to be uh, ashamed of with regards to, you know, certain fun activities of the British Empire. But, you know, sometimes it would be nice if some of the 60s architecture could just last for a little bit so we could at least get used to it before we put up another grey block with no windows and no interesting features. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's what everything's turning into right now. Just these horrible Lego cubes. Utilitarianism, man, it sucks. 
It's so ugly. It's so ugly. Oh, uh, one other place I'd love to go shoot would be in Cuba. Oh, yeah. Before it gets turned into Disneyland. Yeah. Um, just the, uh, that, like everything froze in the 1950s. Man, I, w- I could go back there in a heartbeat. So I looked at going to Cuba last year, but one of the things that put me off was that um, in England, I don't know if this is the same for everywhere, but they told us, like you get a little like information pack on going to Cuba and it like said stuff like, don't expect there to be like power every day and you might need to bring your own bath plug. And I was like, okay, I'm far too fucking precious for whatever the fuck this is. Like, I don't think I could cope with whatever they're suggesting there. Urban camping. <laughs> yeah, that's not for me. I, I'm English. We ride horses, you know, very like velvet lined carriages. So we don't do any of that shit. Uh... Let's get back on track so that I don't keep going off on one about how much I hate England. What's your worst habit as a photographer? Um, nighttime, spending too much time on Instagram. Right. Yeah. That'd be my, my, not necessarily looking for like inspiration, just like watching stupid videos of people like getting hurt, <laughs> uh, just wasting my time when I yeah. can be doing other things. <laughs> Instagram is a huge waste of my time. Um, on that aspect. So, as a, but as a photographer in general, um, rushing my shots that taking a shot that I know is going to be trash just cause right. I see like a good subject. My wife called me out on it just the other day. It was like in a car and a cool car pulled up next to me and it was fairly separated, but I shot the picture through my windshield. It was all dirty. You know what I mean? It's just like wasting a shot. It's like, there's no way that's going to turn out. It's going to be a bad angle. So I'm going to have half my dashboard in the picture. Can I ask you a question about that? So yeah. there's there's a there's a real issue with people that photograph models, which is there's kind of like a, I would call it like the inverse law of attraction, um, in the sense that the more that you are attracted to your subject, the less likely you are to get a decent picture of them because you're incapable of separating bad angles from good and and bad poses from good because you're kind of emotionally wrapped up in what you're doing as opposed to being more technical. Is that the same thing with what you're doing with cars? Do you get, or or, or with your photography in general, do you find a subject that's just in general, you find so visually appealing that you actually find it hard to photograph? Absolutely. I've never thought about that, but that is a hundred percent makes sense for, I've gone through like, I'll develop a role and I'll have like five pictures of this one car. The car is awesome. But then I have like a Kia Sedona in the background. I'm like, well, that takes away, (laughs) (laughs) that takes away everything. Cause I was so hyper-focused on that vehicle. You know what I mean? I was so hyper-focused that I didn't, I didn't take my time and get the angle right. Um, so yeah, I've never thought about that, but absolutely, absolutely. I've done that where, you know, I go take four or five shots of the same car and I come back and there's not one decent angle. There's not one decent picture where I'm like, yeah, that, that worked great. And then, so, but I will say this. So you asked me earlier, if I go, if I plan stuff out, um, I do not plan stuff out. Everything's kind of spur of the moment, but I have an app on my phone where every picture I take, I mark it on like a, on a map. And I take a picture of that car with my phone. So that way I know if like, cause like I said, I take, I develop roles six months later. So I see that picture of that car and I got no good, no shots of it. I'll go into my phone and I'll scroll down until I find that car. And then I know where it's at. And then, you know, um, if I'm out driving around and I'm near that area and I know I want to get that shot, I'll go back to it much later on. Is going back to shot something that you are like totally fine with? Because obviously I've, I've spoken to some people who would be like, they feel like they're retreading old ground. Is that something you're okay with doing? 
Oh, I, I took, yeah, I would go back and take pictures of the, of the same car. I mean, um, like I said, you know, I've rushed shots where I just didn't turn out. And then I go back, you know, six months later, now the car is parked on top of a hill and the sun's sagging behind it and it's perfect. Um, I have no problem shooting that. And, you know, I think with cars too, I think some people, I think a lot of people have, like, if you post a picture and then five months later, you post a picture of that same car in a different angle, no one's going to be able to tell <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? You can, you can do the same thing with photographing people is you just use like a fake mustache or a hat <laughs> and no one will ever know. The glasses and a big nose. Yeah, exactly. So there's actually, I have a really good, uh, I took a picture of, I, my favorite thing in the world to do is take pictures of, uh, obviously cars, but when I get like two or even three cars lined up with no modern cars in there, like just that is perfect. That's, that's what mm -hmm. I'm always looking for. And it tends to happen where like a, a trick of the trade is for me, at least, um, is if I find an old car, like say in the front yard, I'll do a lap around and go into the alleyway because they, 50 to 60% of the times they have like three or four old cars, like in the alley too. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll try to get that. But I mean, there's been a few times where I go up to a shot and there's, you know, a cool old car and I get the, the picture of the car. It's great. And then six months later I'll drive. I always, what's weird is when I'm driving around, I always seem to go on the same streets. I don't know if it's like my brain is like just, mentally mapped to go to the same places for some weird reason. Well, that might be, they do say that serial killers get very comfortable and they tend to spiral. So. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. But I, I look up like, God, I'm on the same street. I've already taken, been on like three times, but, um, so I'll, but I'll go back to it. And now I have like an old truck, the old car and another old car all lined up so I can get all three of them in a shot. And I've done that a few times by randomly, uh, going, on accident going back to the same place I've already shot. And do you print any of your work? Um, I don't, I don't, I've had lots of people ask me to for prints. Um, I just, I haven't, I haven't at all. Um, I got a pretty good print shop here nearby too. And I just, I should, but I never have. I feel like I've shamed you. I feel bad for asking a question that's caused you <laughs> such shame. <laughs> when I first started, cause I didn't develop at home. I think since I've developed at home, uh, I haven't printed anything. So when I first started, I obviously sent everything off to the lab and then I'd get prints back just like your four by sixes or whatever those are. Mm -hmm. Um, but since I did everything at home, I, I haven't gone back to do that. I think it's just cause I, I saved so much money. I don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> Well, I feel like that's a good awkward question to end on. That's pretty much perfect. And I'm I'm really excited by the prospect that if you do turn out to be a serial killer, that that will somehow have a really interesting impact on the popularity of my podcast. <laughs> I'll send you some prints then. Sign. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what they're pictures of, but sure. That's right. That's right. Let's uh let's let's wrap this up. So the most important thing with the podcast, the only reason I do it, the only reason I started it, the only reason I continue to do it is because I want to bring work that I really enjoy and share it with other people so that they start to follow the same stuff as well. Otherwise, what we end up doing is we all end up following the same three or four people and get sick of it. So let's talk about where people can find your amazing work and how they can follow you. Uh, so my only, the only place I post my pictures is on Instagram. So it's just dad wilder, D-A-D-W-I-L-D-E-R. And that's, that's about it. Hopefully one day I'll get a zine and start, I'd like to start a little, um, actual webpage for, for my work later on when I get a 
bigger body. Yeah, that's it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's been worrying and fun all at the same time. I'm glad I could be there for you.